Amen. I am blessed. You are blessed. Our God is a good God. Amen. He's good. Praise God. I've got four cars sitting, well, some, two of them are sitting here in the parking lot, two of them are sitting at home. And you know what? One of them needs an engine, one of them needs a set of tires, one of them needs a set of shocks. But God provided every one of them. And he's going to provide tires and shocks. Amen. I've got four kids to feed. And they've never missed a meal. Amen. I've never found a night when I didn't have a place to lay my head. God is good. We forget how, God, how good God has been to us. Amen. You've got problems and you've got struggles. And some of you might have some lack and some difficulty and circumstances that you're facing. But in the midst of all of that, our God has been so so good to us. And we lose sight of that so quick, and we start grumbling and complaining so easy, don't we? Amen. Why don't you just say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I'm so happy to get past October 31st and get to Thanksgiving. I don't know about you. I hate this, uh, this week what it represents. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redeem the days. I'm going to redeem October 31st. Amen. How many of you know the days are evil and the Bible says to redeem them? Amen. Praise God. Here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an abbreviated message today. Is that all right? We've got kids in here today. And uh, you know what I want to fight? Oh, I want to talk about? I want to talk about fighting for your beans. Fighting for your beans. You know, if God gives you beans, they're worth fighting for. Whatever God gives you, whatever God entrusts to you, it is worth fighting for. Amen? It's worth fighting for. In Spanish, my title is Luchando por Frijoles, Fighting for the Beans. That's not really my title today, but man, how many of you know we're going to speak Spanish in heaven? That's what they say. That's la lengua de los ángeles. It's the language of the angels is what they say. So you better learn Spanish. I'm working. I've been working on it for 20 years. Still don't know it, but I'm working on it. Amen. Isn't that right, Brother Arturo? We're going to speak Spanish in heaven? That's right. That's right. You hear about those two boys? It's one of my favorite stories. It's a, a black boy and a white boy. And they fought all the time about whether Jesus was black or white. White boy said that Jesus was white, and the black boy said that Jesus was black, and they fought about it and fought about it and fought about it. And they both end up in heaven. And they say, Peter, Peter, where, where's Jesus? We want to see Jesus. They're trying to solve their argument. And they run over to where Jesus is at, and they say, Jesus, Jesus. And he turns around and says, buenos dias. <laughs> I love that story. Praise God. So we've been in a, a theme in the last week about great faith. We've had an amazing conference. This has been one of the best weeks of my life. Amen. I, I say that at the end of every week almost. But this, this has been one of the best weeks of my life. We had some amazing guests here, missionaries from Mexico and Japan and Africa. And we had a great, great time. We've raised, uh, we're going to land somewhere around seven, eight grand probably right now with what we raised in cash and pledges. And we need to raise more. We're going to do that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get a pledge uh, form before you get out of here today and make a commitment to missions. 
Amen. We need to do that. I want everybody to do that today. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But we're going to have an opportunity to do that. But I thank God for what we were able to do. I thank God for everything that transpired. Destinies were changed this week. Amen. You know, we had, a, we had a, one of our missionary kids that were, that were here. They were with us. They've been with us three years, the last three years. This, this young lady, beautiful young lady named Rebecca, she's a senior in high school this year. And she told us that last year when she was here at our conference, the Lord called her. She felt and sensed the call to missions upon her life right here at Return Church last year during our conference. And who knows what else transpired this week? I believe that some amazing things happened this week. It's, it was one of the most significant weeks uh, of, of our church history. And if you missed it, I am sorry. I would encourage you to go back and watch every single one of those videos. They were incredible. And uh, every, every one of them was amazing. And then Jacob Mills just capped it off with his, his message about the Great Commission and the importance of, of, of us reaching our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And that we're not going to be able to do that without sending. We, we, we can't reach the nations without sending and the, the power of sending. And who's more important, those who are sent or those who send? And the significance of both the sender and the sendee, right? Just powerful, powerful stuff. We, we, we were blessed greatly this week. We had missionaries that spoke life and the word of God into our church. And we were blessed because of it. If you missed it, go and catch those because they will, they will sharpen you. They will um, edify you and, and, and speak life into your spirit. And so go and watch those messages. It's been an incredible, incredible week. And thank you for everybody who is faithful in serving and, and attending this week. Thank you for those of you uh, that worked hard yesterday for our outreach and our, um, our fall festival this week. Angela, thank you so much for all the efforts of putting that together. Amen. It's a lot of work, and we are great, grateful for, for that. And to everybody who served in any capacity during the, uh, the, the, the missions conference or the fall festival this week, thank you, thank you, thank you. I believe that much transpired on this property for the sake of God's kingdom this week. So we've been talking about great faith, great faith uh, this week. It's been our theme. And, and to hear that coming from missionaries who are hazarding their lives and so many of them going without Enough financial uh, sustenance to be able to live, but God provides for these folks supernaturally. And so uh, these are men and women that are living with, with great faith, great faith. And today I want to talk to you about great victory, great victory. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel chapter three and, and, and 23, and we're going to read about some of David, King David's mighty men in 2 Samuel Chapter 23, verses 10 and 11 are going to be our primary text. I need some glasses up here so I can see. Thank you very much. It's my beautiful wife, Rachel. Isn't she awesome? She's amazing. All right. Amen. Now, I'm glad she got a day off today. She didn't have to lead worship today. And Shannon, are you here? Shannon? Thank you for investing into our young people. Rachel, thank you for investing into these young men that led us in worship today. And uh, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge, we still have some of our guests here, Pastor Sergio and Claudia Ramirez. They're right up here. Brother Sergio was on the guitar. Amen. These are our friends, and we love them dearly. Rachel and I were at, at uh, Bible college together with them, and uh, we love this couple, great, great couple from Torreon, Mexico, currently living and serving in New Mexico, and about to answer a call back to Torreon uh, to serve the body of Christ in Torreon, Mexico. So we love and appreciate them and grateful that they're here 
with us this week. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Again, our primary, I'm sorry, our primary text will be verse 11 and 12, but I want to I back up and read a few verses uh, in this chapter. Let's begin in verse 8. Let's begin to read in verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Joshua Basabeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. This dude's a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior. We'll just call him Adino. Adino the Esnite. And he killed 800 men in one fight. It's a tough dude. It's a tough dude. Took out the entire high school stadium in one battle. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoy. I love these Bible names, don't you, Dodo? The Ahohites, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. Anybody want to defy some Philistines? We, we, we have enemies. We have spiritual enemies, and they're not people. We, we need to know that. They are not people. You are not fighting your Aunt Sally. You're, you're not fighting the person at church that gives you a hard time. Our battle is not with people. Satan used Peter as a mouthpiece, but Jesus didn't say, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes the enemy will get into people and use people to come against you to oppose the purposes of God. But those people, we need to remember, are not our enemy. We have a spiritual enemy, Philistines, that oppose and are indifferent towards the kingdom of light. Is there anybody who wants to defy the Philistines? Amen. We need some folks that will defy the Philistines. And this, this man, Eliezer, stood with David when the rest of the men of Israel retreated. And so often when you do the work of God and fulfill the purpose of God, you will stand alone. People will forsake you. When you are truly following the purpose of God in life, you will find it, it, that to be very, very, very lonely. There are very few people that will actually stand with you when the Philistines are raging and the enemies of God are coming against you. Now, when it's a fair weather day, they'll be by your side. But when any, any sign of adversity comes, they will flee and you will find yourself alone. That's why I love the great promise of the Great Commission. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us, so when we stand alone, we can stand in the power of his might. Amen? Amen. We may not look like much, but the great ones on the inside. The great ones fighting with us. Amen? Amen. We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry because Jesus is with us. So this man Eliezer verse 10 tells us that he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his Hand stuck to the sword. Anybody ever had a muscle cramp 
lock up on you? I mean, this dude had a muscle cramp that his, his hand cramped up on the sword. He, he was so tired of swinging this thing. His hand got so weary that he had a cramp. And it, the Bible says in other translations that his hand claved to the sword. We need some folks that will keep swinging the sword. And again, it is a spiritual weapon. Uh, Jerry Witt, one of our missionaries, was here this week talking about Peter trying to cut off that, that, that Roman centurion's head, Malchus, uh, and, and he tried to, he, he, and Jerry said it, and it's true, he wasn't swinging for his ear. He cut his ear off, but he was not swinging for the ear. He was trying to t- take his head off, and Jesus was saying, hold on a second, Peter, this is not the way that we fight. Malchus is not our enemy, and so he picks his ear up and puts it back on. I mean, the, better, the Bible is better than any movie. Jesus heals the man on the spot, and he says, hey, this is not the way that we roll. Our our enemy is not a human foe. It is a a spiritual principality that is waging war against the kingdom of God. Jesus is illustrating that that in that picture. The way that we fight a battle is not with a a physical sword. I've been saying this. I've been pounding this drum. It's not protesting. It's not politics that's going to advance the kingdom of God. It's not military might that's going to advance the kingdom of God. It is a spiritual muster that advances the purposes of God. You know, Brother Brother Hilton actually reminded me this a couple weeks ago when I was preaching and kind of got on the topic. But the Bible actually forbids us to protest. Do you know that? That there's a forbiddance of protesting in the Bible. But it calls us to preach. The way God's kingdom advances is through the proclamation of his word. You want to change a nation? You want to change a culture? You want to win a victory? Go out and declare this word about Jesus and victory will be procured. That's the way that we advance the purposes of God. So we're not swinging swords as military might or some kind of a physical altercation. This is a spiritual battle that we are engaged in. But we need some saints of God that will engage in this in a spiritual way where they just wield the sword and they refuse to relent. This kind of tenacity that we see in this man, Eliezer, needs to come to the body of Christ. We are so weak and so feeble in the Christian church. The evidence of that is our, how easily we get offended. How easily that, that uh, somebody saying one word to us will take us off of the purpose of God and we will sit on the sidelines because we don't get our way, because somebody doesn't acknowledge us, because somebody looks at us the wrong way, speaks to us the wrong way, we, we, we don't get whatever we're looking to get, we don't get the affirmation, or whatever it is that we think that we need, and we get offended about it. You know what you need to do? Be pastor for a month. You'll get over being offended. Because there's opportunity for offense over and over and over and over again. People think that they can say whatever they want to say to you about your preaching and whatever. Your leadership, constant criticism, constant this, that, and the other. It comes. But guess what? I'm not going anywhere. God's called me to, and I want to sometimes. There are days when I want to quit, where I want to hang it up, where I feel like the, the prophet sitting under the tree. Lord, end my life today. I have my moments. 
We, we've had those moments this year. My wife, my wife and I had a moment like that a couple of months ago. God took us into the word and, and through my wife spoke a great encouragement to me out of the 12th Psalm where David was getting offended. And he said, if I had wings, I would fly away. The enemy has formed a, a mighty bow against me. He's drawn back the bow and the arrow against me. Right? They, they've assaulted me. They've attacked me. They said all kinds of unkind words to me. There's a constant assault. There's a constant attack. But you know what David's response to that is? I am not going to fly away. I'm staying here because it's about territory. There's territory to be taken. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to drive me off of what God said. It's for his kingdom. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to advance the purpose of God. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to swing the sword and I'm going to fight for the king. There was an allegiance in this man Eliezer towards King David that caused him to stand there. When his hand began to cramp, he stood there and he continued to fight. He continued to battle against the Philistines. When all else had forsaken, he stood there and he fought for his king. So the problem with our American culture is it's all about self-realization. And self-realization, who we are and our identity and all this kind of things is what motivates us. And we find ourselves in the church doing things so that we will get the recognition, so that we get titles and positions and accolades. And it's all about self-realization, our need for affirmation, our need to be somebody. And the kingdom is just the opposite of that, where we're called to lay our lives down. It's nothing to do with self-realization. It's about realizing Christ and his kingdom and advancing that purpose and the loyalty that we have to our king. Not loyalty to ourselves, because loyalty to ourselves will cause us to lay down and quit. But when we have a heart for the king, we'll fight, we'll cleave to the sword until our hands crep up when there's no more muster, no more strength, that somehow, supernaturally, something rises up on the inside of us and we continue to fight for the purpose of our king. There's an example here. We need to get over ourselves. We need to get over our feelings. We need to get over our needs. And we need to come to the point where we lay our lives down selflessly for the purposes of God. You can offend me, you can assault me, you can attack me, you can malign me, you can talk bad about me, you can tell lies about me. And by the way, about half of what they were saying about me was true. But it still hurts. Because I'm a weak, feeble, clay-footed human being who is faulty and full of disappointment. But it's not about me. It's not about you. Buck up. Get a backbone. Stand up for your king. Get involved in the purposes of God. And stop being such a sissy saint. Rise up. Get a backbone, jellyfish. We're called mighty oaks. We're called trees that are planted by the the living waters that will not be moved. Most Christians are not trees. They're a pile of leaves blowing in the wind. Grow a trunk. Get some spunk. Get some fight, get some vigor, get some tenacity, stand up for Jesus. Greater is he who's on the inside of you than he that is in the world. Every Philistine that's coming against you. And you know what oftentimes we find is that the Philistines are in the church. 
There are brothers and sisters that become mouthpieces because of offense, because of whatever. They become hostile and opposed and indifferent towards the purposes of God. And so they attack those who are actually advancing the kingdom of God while they sit on the sidelines as critics and complainers. They're like all of the Israelites who fled. Those Israelites who fled might as well have gone and joined the Philistines. And in many cases, if you go look at Saul's army, that's what happened, right? Don't sit in the church hostile to the purposes of God. Don't sit in the church indifferent towards the purposes of God. Either you're on mission or you're not. You need to decide whose side are you on. I'm standing with Jesus. I'm going on. I'm going to persevere. God's given me, and we're about to get to this, where God's given me a bean patch, and it's worth contending for. God's called me to this children's ministry, and I'm going to fight for it. God's given me this outreach, and I'm going for it. God's given me this position to stand on a microphone and be a lead singer on a worship team, and I'm going to fight for it. God's called me to be an intercessor in his body and I'm going to man my post. I'm going to sit in my bean patch and I'm going to fight for what God has given me because it's worth it. I'm not putting the wings on. I'm not going to fly away. I'm going to stand here today and I'm going to contend for the purposes of God. All right, let's get to our text and I'm almost done. Verse 11 and 12. By the way, I don't think I wrapped up verse 10. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword and the Lord brought about a great victory. Everybody say great victory. He brought a great victory that day. The Lord brought the victory. The Lord brought the victory. It wasn't even Eliezer. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to do what we can do, but there are some things that only he can do. And he's, if, if we'll just do what we can do, stand there and cleave to the sword until we can't hang on any longer and our muscles begin to cramp, if we'll just do what we can do, God will show up and do what only he can do. The Lord brought a great victory. Hey Amen. This is a life of faith. I have no confidence in my might. I have no confidence in my prayers. I have no confidence in my spirituality. I have no confidence in who I am and to be able to stand in my own muster and my own strength. My confidence is in the Lord. That's faith. And when we have faith, you know what it does? It produces faithfulness. If we're not faithful to the purposes of God, we are lacking in faith. If we don't stand and contend for what God's given us, it's because we are lacking faith in who God is. It has nothing to do with other people. It has no, nothing to do with your situation or your circumstance. It has everything to do with your heart condition and your faith towards God. It's not about how people treated you. It's not whether they acknowledged you. It's not whether they gave you the title that you wanted or not. It's about your faith in God. Because I've seen people without titles stand and do the work that God's called them to do. Without the acknowledgement, without the support, they stand and they do what God's called them to do. God is calling us to be a people that regardless of what's going on, regardless of situations, regardless of how well we're treated, to stand and do what he's called us to do. All right, to verse 11. Verse 11, after him was Shema, Shama, the son of Aggie. That's for us Texans. Got Aggies down in Texas, so I'm calling him Aggie. Aggie, the Herorite. The Philistine, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, frijoles, beans. Lentils are beans. They're very, very small beans. Small beans. 
So the people fled from the, from Phil, the Philistines. Again, they left. But Eliezer stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought a great victory. Everybody say great victory. Great victory. Eliezer said, this, this bean field belongs to God, and I'm going to fight for it. I ain't going to let these Philistines have one bean stock, not one lentil. I am, this, this field belongs to the king, and I'm fighting for the king. Listen, what you're called to may seem insignificant, but it's worth fighting for. We want the grandiose. Put me on the platform, put a light and a microphone in my hand. We want the glorious. How about we clean a toilet? How about we serve a hot dog? How about we hug on somebody? How about we greet somebody at the door? Real ministry happens in the most simple things. I, I loved hearing that from our missionaries. We, we heard stories like from Rachel Witt, who has a Dutch oven ministry. They, they buy these Dutch ovens, these metal pots that, that, that they can put in the fire, right into the fire. And they, they, they go up into the mountains of Mexico to minister to the Tepuan Indians. And they donate these, these Dutch ovens to these Tepuan Indians. And they, they teach them how to cook in these Dutch ovens. And they use that as a means to build relationship with these Tepuan Indians and then preach the gospel to them. And because of that, churches have been planted. Entire villages in the mountains of Mexico of Tepuan Indians have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of a Dutch oven ministry. It wasn't a mass crusade where 20,000 people come to hear, hear the speaker. Now their teenage daughters are teaching teenage girls how to cook in Dutch oven uh, 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 fire, fireside meals. It's the simple things. It's amazing as you read through scripture how often God uses simple things. You want proof of that? You're looking at it. I am nothing but a cowpoke and a carpenter from Texas, South Texas. And God is using me for his purpose. You want proof that God uses simple things? Look around you. Go, in fact, pull your phone out, get your phone uh, selfie thing in selfie mode and look at it and look at something that is very simple and God is using. God's using you, right? Fifth grade education and all, God's using you. Dropped out of college, God's still using you. Don't have much money, God's still using you. Uh, you may not be the, the most noble, may not be the most wise, but God is still using us. God uses simple things. There's a, there's a passage, and we have it, it should have an overhead for this, but there's a passage about the feeding of the 5,000. And this is the statement. All we have here is a lad, and he's, he's got uh, two fish, or, or two loaves and, and five, five fish. Five, there we go. I always get it back every time. Two, smith, fish, two small fish and five barley loaves. There is so much wording in that one verse right there of insignificance that we just gloss over. There's a lad here, properly interpreted. There's this little insignificant boy here 
That's the proper interpretation of that word there. Inconsequential boy here, and all he's got is bar loaves. Now, these, these are not, you know, your, your uh, Cheesecake Factory bread loaves. These are not your expensive six, eight dollar, ten dollar, twelve dollar rolls of bread. This is like the one you get in the plastic sleeve, thin sliced bread for thirty nine cents. But you can't even do that anymore, can you? Uh, Two thirty nine probably these days. But when I was growing up, it was thirty nine cents a loaf. That's what it's talking about. It's the most base bread that there is. When it says barley loaves, it's the cheapest of the cheap. And then it says that, that, that he's, he's got two, two small fish. These are not whoppers. These are not the ones that you tell your friends about and exaggerate. These are, these are little bait fish. The ones, you know, the ones they put on pizza. Anybody get anchovies? That's what these things look like, little shriveled up fish. That's literally the word here. It says small in the English, but it's, it's, it's literally this inconsequential little bait fish. Anybody ever catch minnows to put on your hook to catch the real fish? That's what we're talking about here. This kid's got a couple loaves of bread, a few fish. That's all he's got. This little insignificant kid with insignificant bread and insignificant fish. And you hear it in, in their wording. What are these among so many. We could ask that question about ourselves. What are we in light of the Great Commission? What are we, faulty, stinky, cracked clay pots? in light of the glorious purpose of God on planet Earth. What are we? We're inconsequential. We're insignificant. But that's what God is looking for. Amen? Jesus is looking for cracked pots that he could put his glory in. He's looking for a cracked pot that he could put his light in. You know why? Because his, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. His glory shines through in our little cracks. Yeah, the, the, the little crackpots are the ones that let the light shine through. Because when people look at us, they don't see our splendor. They don't see how magnificent that we are. But they see that there's a magnificent God that loved us and has redeemed us and will use us for his glorious purpose. We are insignificant. I found it interesting. As you look at these three mighty men of David... The, 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 the first one says that he killed 800 people. But it, it doesn't say anything about great victory. But when you get to the next two, Eliezer and Shammah, these two men who stood alone. It says, the Lord wrought a great victory. These two lonely men. These two inconsequential men. One of them fighting for a bean field. And the Bible says, God wrought a great victory by him. 
Church, God is calling us for a glorious purpose. I, I, I want to give honor as I wrap up today. I want to honor those who serve at our doors every Sunday. It may seem inconsequential, but it is significant in light of the purposes of God. I want to give honor for everyone who puts a penny in an offering plate. It may seem inconsequential, but it is mighty for the purposes of God. I want to give honor to our, our children's workers who should be here today in the sanctuary when they are usually back out working on Sunday morning. Thank you. Working with those little ones is not inconsequential work. It is significant towards the purposes of God. Whether you're preparing a snack, whether you're checking a, a, a child in, whether you're teaching their class, whether you're a teacher's aide in that classroom, what you are doing is significant. Amen. Our sound people, what you do is significant. To the young man sitting at the back computer helping to make sure our live stream is going on to social media this morning, what you're doing is significant. To Hilton and Julie who man our PowerPoint every single Sunday, what you're doing is significant. For every man and woman that drives a van on a Sunday morning to bring somebody to church, what you're doing is significant. For the ones that wash our baptismal towels after we're done baptizing people and folds them and prepares them and greets the people on Sunday mornings as they're getting ready to be baptized. What you're doing may seem inconsequential, but it is of great significance. Every act, every deed, every little thing that we're doing, we need to remember that there is purpose on it. There is kingdom purpose to what we are doing. And I honor each and every one of you. I am no hero who stands up on a platform in a spotlight with a microphone in his hand every single Sunday. It's those who fix things around here and clean things and serve to our cleaning team, our volunteers. You guys are the true heroes of the faith. To those of you who are going over to Portland, to those of you who have showed up over in Louisville to the new outreach that we're starting over there, you are the ones that are doing great things and you show up on Monday morning and hand, or Monday afternoon and hand clothes out to people who are in need. You are doing things with great consequence and folding a shirt or a pair of pants and putting it in a bag may seem like an insignificant act, but there is great kingdom purpose on every item of clothing and every act of kindness and every hot dog and everything that you do for the purpose of God the glory of God. There is great significance and we are like this man Shama who is fighting for his bean patch. You know what I want to compel in us this, this morning as a church? Faithfulness. We got a lot of faithful people but I want to compel us to be more and more faithful to the purposes of God. It's worth it. It's worth it. We lose sight of the fact that what we do week in and week out, every act of ministry, every act of service, every act of kindness, every time we share the gospel, every time we stop to pray for someone, every time we do it, there's something of eternal weight that transpires that if we're looking at it with our carnal eyes, we will miss it. There's something significant about standing in a bean patch and saying this bean patch belongs to my king and I'm not going to let my enemy touch these beans. I'm going to fight the enemy off. Spiritually, when you wait at the doors, when you serve in security, when you pray in these altars with people, whatever you're doing, every little act, witnessing at work, whatever you are doing is an act with great weight and great significance. And there is spiritual warfare 
involved in every single one of those transactions. There are mighty things moving in the spirit realms that we cannot even comprehend. And I want to encourage us towards faithfulness. <coughs> we think, and, and I think it was Jerry that put the picture of uh, Billy Graham in the Great Crusade with thousands of people, people as far as you could see in this photograph that he showed. And we always think of that as significance in ministry. But it's not. A great act of faith is showing up on a Sunday morning, getting the offering plates ready, getting the communion trays ready, making sure the handouts are printed off, making sure the order of the service is prepared, making sure that the worship team has all of their music. Listen, none of it is without significance. It may seem like just a little bean patch, but if it's the bean patch that God has called you to, it's worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for. And I believe this, if we take care of little things, advancement comes. Advancement comes. Brother, Brother Samuel, you're an inspiration. Strumming the guitar, it's a significant thing. Serving on our board, it's a significant thing. Translating, it's a significant thing. I had a young lady that showed up here. We were leaving church on a Sunday afternoon here a few weeks ago, and we could not speak, we could not communicate with her. I, my my uh, Tex-Mex, it was not good enough. And so we called Brother Samuel, and he answered the phone, and he interpreted, and he spent... 30 minutes on the phone with this gal, getting, figuring out what she needed. And then Christian and Lizbeth stepped up and they helped this young lady get some resources. And Julie was on the phone. Here's this resource and this is available. These funds are available. This resource is available. Listen, it is significant work. And Brother Samuel, many of you may not know Brother Samuel's story, but back in 2020, his wife contracted COVID and she passed away late December, early, or late, late November, early December in that, that time frame. And he lost his wife. But I watched this man not get offended. Every reason to get angry. Every reason to shake his fist. Every reason to walk away from God. But he just stood and faithfully strummed the guitar. And interpreted the Sunday messages. And served in this house. Amen. I could go, that's one story that I've isolated and picked up on today. I could go through this building and tell story after story. I want to tell you folks that you are my heroes. I got all kinds of preacher friends. I've been around some of the biggest I have in my lifetime. I've been around some of the biggest names in preaching in the world, and they are unimpressive. Unimpressive. But the saints of God, who, when they don't even have enough money sometimes for what they think they need in their lives, they write the check, they drop a big contribution in the offering plate. There's my heroes. Jesus wasn't moved by the millionaires who were dropping in little trinkets in the offering. He was moved by that one widow and her great act of faith, putting two pennies in the offering plate. Great faith. Great faith. Great faith. And that kind of great faith, the, the two-penny faith, the fold the towels kind of faith, the get the sheet music ready kind of faith, put out the Kleenex boxes, that kind of faith, that's the great faith through which God's kingdom advances. It's not the splendorous ones. It's not the glorious positions. It's not the ones in the limelight. It's not the ones who have the microphone always that, that are moving God's kingdom. 
It's every single one of us standing in our bean field, fighting for the beans that God's given us to contend for. They're the ones that are moving the great purposes of God by great faith, fighting for the beans. That's where the rubber meets the road. God's given you the kids' ministry. It's your bean patch to contend for. If God's given you a Spanish ministry, it's your bean patch to contend for. If God's given you an outreach ministry, it's your bean patch to, to fight for. And it is worth fighting for because it is the king's bean patch. And we are going to fight for it. Amen? Today's a very unique service, isn't it? Here's what we're going to do. We have communion ready this morning. And we're going to take communion together. I want the team to get ready. I, I tried to preach short, but I'm excited about what I'm saying today. I had a half a page of notes. I usually have four pages of notes, and I still preach too long. Our team is going to come, and they're going to serve the elements of communion. And I, I want to say this about communion. We're, we're, we're taking this together today as the body. It's significant. Why I think coming to church, being a part of a local body is important. We need each other. I can't do what I do without you. None of us can do anything in the kingdom without each other. We need each other. We need to be a part of a body. Amen. If you're if you're watching on uh, on live stream this morning on Facebook or YouTube, I'm glad you're tuning in. But it's better here in person. There's strength that comes and rubbing shoulders with these great men and women of God in this house. There's strength that comes. Amen. We are a body. And this is an important sign of that. Amen. As we take communion, we remember that we are a part of the body of Christ. We're a part of the body of Christ. And one thing I want to say about this, the Bible says that we should not take of this unworthily. And far too often I've heard that text in the scriptures used to condemn people and not to convict people. Those words coming from Jesus are not to condemn you and make you feel unworthy of the communion. They are to convict us to rise up and live lives worthy of that communion. I say this almost every time we take communion. Every time we do this, we should grow. Every time we do this, we should become more like Jesus. That's the journey that we're on anyway, day by day. So we look into the word by the power of his spirit, being transformed to be like him. Every time we do this, we should become more like Jesus. Because th those words that we should not take of this unworthily are meant to cause us to look into our hearts, to examine our hearts, and see if there's sin there that we should repent of, that we should turn from. To follow on to know Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and, and, and pass through the congregation and pass these up. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together.
I heard a terminology this week from Don Crabtree that I'd never heard. Talking about some churches taking communion, he said they're called one cup churches. They all take from the same cup. And I said, well, that was before COVID. <laughs> but we're, we are, we're one body. They all, I believe, when they sat around with Jesus, took and broke off a loaf of unleavened bread, a Passover meal. They took from that one loaf of bread. The Bible says they broke it and they partook of it. It's significant of the body of Christ that was broken for us. And because that, that flesh was torn, because his body was broken, we can be a part of his body, of his family. Thank you, gentlemen. Has everybody been served? Not yet. I'm going to wait for everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this picture of your broken body would declare to us the unity of the body of Christ. We're all one because of what you have done through Calvary. Lord, I pray that you would work greater unity into this house. I pray that you would work greater unity throughout the earth amongst all believers. I pray that you would bring your church to a point where we would be known for our love one for another. Not for our denominations, not for what divides us, Lord, but because of unity that comes through your word and your spirit. Church, if you would, take the bread and partake the body of Christ. This cup represents the blood. Symbol of the new covenant. Hey Amen. Aren't you thankful that we have a new covenant? Aren't you thankful that we have a better covenant? It's not the blood of bulls or goats, but it is the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the sinless one who has redeemed us from our sins. Let's take the cup. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every believer that is in this room. Strengthen us, everyone, individually, and strengthen us as your body. Lord, I believe, Lord, we live in perilous times, but you're raising up a mighty army. You've delivered the word, and great is the army of those who proclaim it. Father, we thank you. Give us strength. Give us faith, Lord God. Give us great victory in the eternal purposes of your kingdom. Help us to advance the kingdom of light throughout all of the earth. Lord, may your gospel permeate the nations of the earth. 
Let it penetrate into the hardest places on planet Earth today. Open doors. And whatever is brewing politically and militarily throughout the nations, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would use every single conflict and every uh, act of oppression and even corruption, Lord God. Use those to make way for your gospel to be advanced. Father, I thank you for it. And I give you praise for today in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, reminded yesterday, I was talking to a military vet, and I was reminded back when, when we invaded um, Iran, or Iraq, when we, when we invaded Iraq. I remember the church praying that salvation would come to Iraq. And I remember when they started to baptize they, they would put tarps down in, in big holes in the ground and put tarps down and fill them up with water, and they were baptizing people in the deserts. Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, three of the fastest growing churches in the world today. I pray that I hate war, I hate all of these political conflicts, I hate everything that's moving in the earth today, but I pray, when I see these things, I pray, Lord, let the gospel advance. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray that that they would know their, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. That whatever's moving in the earth, that God would use that to bring governments that are oppressing and people who are fighting against the gospel to bring them low so that the gospel can spread in these nations. That needs to be our prayer. Amen.